Welcome into Outkick the Show. I'm your fearless leader, Clay Travis, coming to you from Phoenix, right next to where I just did the Clay and Buck radio show. Be out here Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Also, Monday, stay in for the Super Bowl. I love Phoenix, one of my favorite cities in the entire country. So, hope to meet a lot of Outkick uh, listeners and Clay and Buck listeners uh, and readers and everything else out here over the course of Super Bowl week. We got a bunch of stories uh, to dive into, uh, and I want to hit this. Uh, right off the top, uh, we're going to hit the State of the Union. Uh, I'm going to give you my Super Bowl picks every day this week. Not going to try to hide it. Uh, Trump and DeSantis are going at it. There is a Twitter hearing on the Hunter Biden censorship in the House. Uh, LeBron is the top scorer ever in the history of the NBA. And there are many different discussions surrounding Joe Biden's State of the Union address, as I mentioned just a second ago. But want to start right off the top. I'm going to do this for every single Super Bowl show while I am out here in Phoenix. I am on the Chiefs, and I am on the under in this game. I feel like the Chiefs are going to win something in the neighborhood of 24-20 to 20 style victory. That's my prediction for this game. I uh, cannot wait for it. Cannot wait to watch it in person uh, out here in Glendale, Arizona. So there is my Super Bowl pick. If there are major Super Bowl stories that emerge, I'll talk about them. So far, there have not really been any. Um, And on Friday, I'll break down the game in greater detail as we prepare to head into the weekend. I'm also scheduled to be on a ton of Fox News shows, be on Jesse Waters a little bit later today. Uh, I'm going to be with Shannon Bream on Fox uh, Sunday, the, the the big talking head show, I think, from the field. Going to be with uh, Bill Hemmer on, uh, from the field as well, from the stadium. A lot of different things going on, variety of different perspectives. Just FYI, you'll probably see me everywhere, and I'll be doing Clay and Buck. Congratulations. I think I've already said this, but my buddy Buck Sexton on the radio show engaged, leaves for his honeymoon early tomorrow morning because he was married on Saturday. Congratulations again to he and Carrie. I hope they have a fantastic honeymoon. Uh, But I want to start with Biden's State of the Union last night. Uh, I got into Phoenix, got to the hotel room, put it on, watched. I jotted down several notes during the course of the the discussion of the State of the Union during Biden's 72-minute address. Here were the things that jumped out to me the most. First of all, and this is the, uh, the most key aspect, I think, of any analysis. Joe Biden continues to argue that he has added, well, 14 million, whatever the number is, new jobs since he came into office the most ever. It's a lie, okay? What happened was blue states shut down, and starting in January of 2021, many people were able to go back to work. It's not a new job when you're able to go back to a job that Democrats did not allow you to work because you were at a non-essential business, okay? So that is not true. Secondly, Biden argues a lot that overall wages are up. A lot of times he says around 4% of the wage increase. Inflation got to over 9%. It's still over 6%. The reason why so many people feel that they are losing ground in the American economy of Joe Biden is because they are. Even if you get a 4% raise, if inflation is 6, 7, 8, or 9%, you are paying more for all of the goods out there. This is important. This is a significant detail. Most people miss it. You can't argue that you're giving people wage increases of 4% when it's below the rate of inflation. That's actually a pay cut. So just about everybody out there in the large magnitudes 
have gotten pay cuts during Joe Biden's presidency, which has not added the jobs that he claims. That was right out of the break. I think that's always important. That's how he started his address. Joe Biden also continues to say that January 6th was the greatest threat to American democracy since the Civil War. That is a lie. We had 9-11. We had a World War II. We had Pearl Harbor. The idea that American democracy has been the most severely threatened since the Civil War by what happened on January 6th is a flat-out lie. The fact that Joe Biden continues to propagate that lie is, to me, infuriating. Now, also, there are several other things. Biden didn't talk about China hardly at all, except to scream about how nobody would want to be Chairman Z, which is not even true. Look, Biden failed when it came to the overall balloons coming across our country. Biden has not stood up to China because China is, in many ways, a base of the Democrat Party. We have got to stand up to China, even though Joe Biden will not, because effectively, as I've been arguing for years now, we're in a new Cold War. Instead of the Soviet Union, we are in a new Cold War with China. You'll note that there was hardly any mention whatsoever in the State of the Union address uh, from Joe Biden about what was going on uh, with China. Also, Biden said he wants to go after tax cheats. Do you know who the biggest tax cheat is in the Biden family, at least that we know of so far? His son, Hunter, who owes millions of dollars in back taxes uh, still himself. This is a big deal. I can't imagine how much of a hypocrite you would have to be to bring up the fact that you want to go after tax cheats when your own son is a multi-million dollar tax cheat. They also showed AG, Attorney General Merrick Garland, on the screen shortly thereafter. And I got to tell you, uh, that hypocrisy was hard not to recognize and notice. Uh, Several other things. This was the opening argument for Joe Biden's 2024 presidential campaign. He's going to run. That's the biggest takeaway of this State of the Union. I will be stunned if Joe Biden is not the Democrat nominee in 2024. In fact, the only way I think Joe Biden is not the Democrat nominee is if he has some sort of significant health-related issue that doesn't allow him to be the nominee going forward. Um, How about, however, what I thought was, frankly, the most indefensible portion of the entire Joe Biden address? And that was when he claimed that He doesn't talk about how to respond to police with his own children and that white parents don't either. It's just a flat-out lie. I've got three kids, 15, 12, and 8. I've been talking with them for years about how to respond if they happen to get pulled over by police. Almost every white parent I know does the same. White, black, Asian, Hispanic, all parents are talking with police, in my experience, uh, talking with kids about how to respond to police in my experience, and the experience of every parent out there. So this idea that has been allowed to get rooted in uh, the discussion that suddenly white parents don't talk about how to respond to police, flagrantly untrue. I've been talking about it on my shows for years. Here's my advice if your own parents aren't talking to you and you are listening to me, and if you are not talking to your kids or grandkids and you are listening to me, here's my advice. Comply with the police. Whatever instructions you get from the police, almost every incident of police violence with citizens is based on citizens not complying with police instructions. I'm a lawyer. I tell my kids this exact advice. You can challenge 
any unconstitutional behavior of a police officer in court, thanks to the American system of justice. What you can't do is erase a violent act that takes someone's life or leads to a significant injury. In virtually every prominent case of police violence against citizens, almost all of them, if the police officer had been complied with from the start, we never would have ended up with any violence, okay? So every kid out there, every parent out there, comply with police. I wish athletes would say this. I wish entertainers would say this. What Joe Biden is trying to do is demonize the police and make it look like they are the reason for violence in this country. Simply not true. In fact, police overwhelmingly protect black, white, Asian, and Hispanic lives from danger. And the facts matter here. Despite the fact that Democrats want to convince you that only black people are victims of police violence, 75% of people shot and killed by police every year, according to the Washington Post database over the last seven years, are white, Asian, or Hispanic. 75%. And the threat to people in America today is not from the police. It's overwhelmingly from criminals. Whether you are white, black, Asian, or Hispanic, in fact... The more police pull back from being aggressive in policing, by and large, the more people who die, many of them, huge percentage of them, end up being black. Over half of all murder victims in this country today are black. Almost all of the people taking black lives are black as well. Police are the number one protectors of black, white, Asian, and Hispanic lives in this country when it comes to trying to protect them from violence. we got to stop demonizing police. Police commit crimes, charge them. They're not above the law, but we have to stop treating police, tiny members of which are actually committing acts of violence, as if they are the cause of violence in this country. They are the number one preventers, in fact, of violence in this country. Now, I told you Joe Biden's going to run in 2024. This is what the Joe Biden campaign is going to look like. Biden is going to, I believe, almost exclusively go off a teleprompter. He's not going to take questions very often. He is going to run a Weekend at Bernie's 2 style campaign. In 2020, they were able to use COVID as an excuse to put Joe Biden in his basement and have him relatively off the campaign trail. I think they will use the fact that Biden is working all the time as an excuse for why Biden is not out on the campaign trail. I think he will take questions rarely from the media. Uh, and I believe they are going to attempt to weekend at Bernie's two style, drag him across the finish line. If you saw John Fetterman during the course of the State of the Union address last night, the biggest lesson that I think anyone can take from 2022 is it doesn't matter whether you are capable of doing the job or not if you are the Democrat nominee. John Fetterman can barely talk, and he is now a senator for the next six years from Pennsylvania. If they were able to elect Fetterman, and they were able to elect Biden in 2020, Democrats want the power of the presidency, and they will do whatever it takes to get Biden across the finish line in 2024, even though he'd theoretically be 82 years old. Now, this ties in with what I believe is going on right now, which is the battle between Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis. Last night on Truth Social, Donald Trump shared a uh, uh, alleged picture of Ron DeSantis with kids from high school that he had taught in Georgia soon after DeSantis graduated from Yale before he went to Harvard for 
law school. And uh, there are three girls alongside of Ron DeSantis. Trump called DeSantis a groomer. Uh, DeSantis today responded uh, to those allegations, said he's not focused on any other Republican. He's focused on standing up to Joe Biden. I think that Trump is making a mistake by going after Ron DeSantis in this manner. Okay, here's why. If I were the campaign manager for Donald Trump right now, I would be telling him what worked in 2016, that is being incredibly combative with every other Republican, running as an outsider, managing to get the nomination, is not going to work in 2024. You should be above the fray. Your argument should be, minute I get to the White House, I can win uh, victories for the American public as the president because I've already done it before. And I can beat Joe Biden because he's been a disaster. Everybody else can argue behind me. The next generation, I hope, is going to be great of Republican leadership. But for now, I am the one who can get this done and can arrive and win from day one. Going after you have been the president, after other Republicans this aggressively is, I think, a bad move. On the flip side, for Ron DeSantis, I think DeSantis is following what I would argue is the smartest path he can take. Now, he's not a declared candidate yet. But the person that I would point to who had the most success being a uh, uh, being attacked by Trump and still went on to win in a big way was Georgia Governor Brian Kemp. And Georgia Governor Brian Kemp responded to every attack from Donald Trump by effectively saying, he's mad at me, I'm not mad at him, I'm running to try and beat Stacey Abrams and ensure that Georgia remains in the hands of Republicans. He dominated. Trump had a hand-picked successor, Sonny Perdue, who ran against Brian Kemp. Brian Kemp beat him by 50 points. Brian Kemp then went out and beat Stacey Abrams by seven and a half points. Why did he do that? How did he do it? Despite the fact that Trump was aggressively attacking him because he focused on his Democrat opponent, not on internecine, interfamily warfare with Trump. I think that is the strategy that makes the most sense for DeSantis, and that's the one that he appears to be adopting. Uh, if I were advising the DeSantis camp, just like I said, if I were advising the Trump camp, I would say be above the fray, presume that your nominee, go after Joe Biden instead of attacking other Republicans. If I were advising DeSantis, I would say every time that Trump attacks you, pivot, say, I'm not mad at Trump. He appears to be mad at me. I think he did a good job as president. I'm focused right now on being the best governor that I can from Florida and combating Joe Biden, who I think is the worst president out there uh, in the history of my life. I think that's a winning argument. It's Brian Kemp-esque, and I believe it could, could be very persuasive to a lot of Republicans out there. But what I want to point out is this is going to be a nasty, brutal, 800-pound guerrilla battle. Uh, I think DeSantis-Trump is going to be a knockdown, drag-out affair, and it's probably going to be nasty before all is said and done, and certainly the way Trump is attacking DeSantis so far would suggest that's the case. Um, Today, credit to the House Republicans having a hearing on the censorship of the New York Post story on Hunter Biden. And I shared a clip from AOC, which to me is indicative of what true disinformation is. We know that the Hunter Biden laptop is 100% true. CBS, New York Times, Washington Post have all confirmed, essentially, the New York Post reporting. 
Um, also, we know that the FBI has had the Hunter Biden laptop physically in their possession since December of 2019. We also know that the FBI was briefing Twitter on threats and dangers from Russian misinformation. We know that there were 51 uh, supposed experts in uh, in, uh, in 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 all the uh, sort of inner workings of the FBI and the CIA and the NSA and everything else who signed on to a letter arguing that the Hunter Biden laptop had all the hallmarks of Russian disinformation. That was a lie. It was propaganda that was used to help get Joe Biden into office. AOC still making the same arguments. And I'm going to continue to hammer this because I think it's so significant. What we have seen in terms of the collusion between the FBI, big tech companies like Twitter, Facebook, and beyond, and the Democrat Party is the biggest threat to our democracy in any of our lives. And it makes Watergate seem like jaywalking, yet the left in this country and their media allies at ABC, NBC, CBS, the MSNBC, Washington Post, New York Times, all of them are pretending that this story doesn't exist because they are on the wrong side of history. I give good uh, credence to the House Republicans for holding this hearing. We had Congressman Jim Jordan on the show earlier. This is an important story to set out there. I doubt that they are going to cover it very much, if at all. But the fact that AOC and her ilk are lying about this is significant beyond a shadow of a doubt. Uh, Super Bowl. Uh, back to the Super Bowl. I'm out of here in Phoenix. Can't wait. Uh, again, I've got the Chiefs and I've got the over. Fun stat that was picked up by David Hookstead, one of the writers at OutKick. The United States, USA, 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 is going to spend more money gambling on the Super Bowl, all of you, me, all the citizens out there, $16 billion, than Iran is going to spend on its military this year. That's a staggering data point. Uh, finally, LeBron James last night, became the top scorer in the history of the NBA, passing Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Congratulations to LeBron, I mean, in all honesty. And let me also point this out. I have argued for years that I give LeBron James credit for this. At 16, 17, 18 years old, he was projected to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time, and he lived up to that. And that's why I've always said that the most impressive part of LeBron James's career to me is that he didn't fall apart in the glare of fame. And let me explain what I mean by that. If you look at Hollywood, the Leonardo DiCaprios of the world are relatively rare. That is young people who have a lot of success early, Titanic for instance, and then go on to live up to their overall ability as a talent, right? Most young Hollywood stars, most young star musicians get corrupted by fame and don't ever attain their full potential. Look at the Lindsay Lowens of the world. Look at uh, how many different musicians can you name out there who have one good album, who have a couple of good years, youthful, and are not able to live up to that promise for the rest of their career. They succumb to the perils, pratfalls, of fame. The thing that I would say about LeBron James, I disagree with a lot of his politics. I think that he has been an incredible hypocrite on China. But what he has managed to do is overcome the child actor, child celebrity curse. 
Everybody out there thinks, oh, if I were a star at 17 or 18 years old, I would be fine. I would never have any issues with the pratfalls and perils of celebrity and of fame and fortune. Most people are wrong about that. Most people end up having tremendous difficulties associated with that. The fact that LeBron, number one overall pick at 18 years old, in his youth went straight to the NBA, has virtually been out of trouble his entire career, right? Never really gotten a foul of any significant issue, right? Seems to be, for all intents and purposes, a good dad, right? Uh, Is married. I give him credit for that. I do not agree with his politics, but in terms of LeBron James's career trajectory, I think he deserves a lot of credit for from 18 to 38 being one of the greatest in his profession and maintaining that level of excellence, despite the fact that most people crumble with that kind of pressure, with that kind of responsibility, and with that kind of success. And so I think it's emblematic of how I would encourage a lot of young people who have early success to follow and to uh, to end up like LeBron in that respect. So congratulations to LeBron becoming top scorer ever. You couldn't do it without an entire generation of hard work. And also, you have managed to do what is one of the most challenging things ever. Despite being the number one overall pick and having extraordinary expectations, you managed to exceed them. That is, I think, an incredible, uh, incredibly positive story of LeBron. All right. I love all of you. I am going to be on scheduled right now to be on with Jesse Waters a little bit later from out here in Phoenix. Uh, and uh, I'll be doing tons of Fox News. I'll be doing these shows. Appreciate you. Love it out here in the Valley of the Sun. I will be uh, solo with Clay and Buck Thursday, Friday, and Monday from out here in Phoenix. Congratulations again, Buck Sexton and Carrie Sexton, uh, his new wife. Hope you guys have a phenomenal honeymoon. I will see you guys tomorrow. DBAP, unless you need to SBAP. This has been Outkick the show.